Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now on with the show. Okay, so today we're excited to welcome Brandon Ingram to the show. Brandon is a South Georgia native, Georgia Tech alum, and two-time winner of the prestigious Philip Schutze Award for Excellence in Classical Design from the Institute of Classical Architecture and Art. In 2012, he founded C. Brandon Ingram Design, which is a full-service residential design firm specializing in custom homes, renovations, and architectural interiors. Brandon's work has been featured in numerous national publications, including the Wall Street Journal, Southern Living, House Beautiful, and Traditional Home. If you're familiar with Brandon's work, you'll notice that he has a special ability to craft homes that are rooted in history, but are also unique and of their time. He flawlessly weaves a sense of charm and familiarity through subtle details. And in today's episode, he's going to share his best advice for giving a new build charm and character. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, I think anyone who visits your website or looks up your house plans for Southern Living will just get a feel for it. the classic, you know, style and vernacular that you use for the homes that you design for your clients. So I guess maybe we could just start with what what made you fall in love with the classical architecture and why is that sort of where you where your style and your designs often land sure well so i grew up in a, in a really small town in south georgia called bainbridge like a lot of those little tiny south georgia towns there's just some phenomenal architecture really beautiful kind of vernacular iconic southern architecture as a child that just really caught my eye it just really was something that houses were something that resonated with me i did always have a penchant for drawing i love to draw i love to to sketch and, and crayons and lincoln logs were certainly a part of my childhood but uh, more than anything, it was, it was always houses. I still can't draw people. I still can't draw cars. But uh, <laughs> even years old, I would uh, I, I would draw houses. And he still does. <laughs> Very cool. So now he's paid for it. That's the only right. part. <laughs> and I do think that there's something about still in the back of my head when I when I do sit down to draw a house. There's something about the the lessons that were taught by those you know sometimes humble houses in South Georgia, the sense of place that they have, the sense of history, the sense of belonging, and, and really the reflection that those houses have on their owners and their communities and how important that is, I think it's something that really stuck with me. And um, something that I try to do, even with new houses, it's important to, to infuse those qualities in a new house to give them a sense of, like I said, belonging. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I feel like often the when we've had architects on the show, they'll often suggest when you're working on your own project, you're building a house from scratch, looking around your neighborhood, what's, you know, kind of the style, what makes sense for the space, that word vernacular, drawing on your neighborhood's vernacular. But I've always wondered, what do you do if you don't like the styles existing in your neighborhood? Where do you go then? I think, and I always advise clients to certainly look at your neighborhood, look at the people around you, look at the buildings around you, the houses. But more than that, this is going to sound really deep and introspective, but, but look into yourself. What are the things that make you the happiest? 
what are the houses that, that in your mind's eye, in your memory, what are those houses that always brought those good feelings to you? And a lot of times it's, it's your grandmother's kitchen table. It's your your aunt's front porch or the places you spent as a child by a lake. What are the what are the qualities and the and the aspects of those sorts of places? And, and how can we create those in a place for today? So many times those are things. It's it's a feeling way more than it is a style of architecture that people are seeking. I could design many different styles of houses that have the same vibe and the same feeling that people are looking for, and they can make them happy. Mm-hmm. And so that's really more than identifying a style, we identify a feeling. I think that's where where our beginning point always starts. Could you give me an example of like a feeling that maybe a client gave you and then how that translate into a house? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm putting you on the spot. Well, you said it, and I literally thought of my like favorite two movies. They're one of some of my favorites, and that's where, like, in my mind, I'm like, that is what a home looks like, and it's Father of the Bride, and it's the House and Practical Magic, which again is just a big. And I I don't why (laughs) why are those the houses that pop in my mind when you say that? I don't know, (laughs) but I'm like, that's where I want to. It's it's the wedding in Father of the Bride. It's the reception. (laughs) It's the throwing the bouquet off the off the stairs. It's those sorts of things. Yeah, I can give you a couple of examples, Caroline, of, of, of what you said, you know, on, on a couple of different spectrums. Mm-hmm. Um, had a huge client who had, you know, one of the build an enormous house in Georgia. She had a vision of a beautiful circular stair being the, the place that her family would have pictures taken. And she had a vision of, of a back porch. Mm-hmm. And, and, and literally in her eyes, she described to me how she wanted things to feel when she walks in the front door. And that makes my job so easy that I can, mm. I can just say, I, let me just draw that. Let me hear you talk. And while you talk, let me draw it. And let's see if we're, we're speaking the same language. And on the other end of the spectrum, little, little tiny houses where people just say, I want something so efficient. I want something so cozy and comfortable that it feels like a sweater when I walk in. You know, that, that sort of thing. You know, the, uh, speaking of movies, uh, you know, that, that house or that movie, As Good As It Gets. You remember that one? Um, yes. Amazing. People, oh, people yeah. that one and Father of the Bride all the, the coastal time. Coastal Grandmother. <laughs> is, is coastal is grandmother. the Coastal Grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Oh, good. I'm not alone then. <laughs> You're not alone. You're definitely not alone. But I think it's those, um, like I said, it, it's, it's, it's those things that just stick in your head and your heart that really make our jobs easier as people who design mm-hmm. houses. It, it's, it's a feeling. And, and I think the same thing could apply to people who do interior design and landscape architecture, you know, gardens that you love, rooms that you love, colors that you love. It's such a personal thing. And it's such a, you know, it, it's a thing that, that draws upon your whole life of experiences. And that's really what the built environment is. It's capturing those things and, and putting them up in three-dimensional form. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have to talk clients out of like, well, what's going to sell? Oh, this is pop. This is what's popular in Atlanta. You know what I mean? Because I think I love the idea of personalization, but I often think that people don't think of that when they, they see like, okay, this is what's selling in the store, or this is what I see on Pinterest. So this is what I want versus I'm going to forget all of that. I'm going to forget oh, yeah. everything I see and just, you know think about my own wants and needs all, all the time all the time I, I think there's a place for pinterest there's a place for house there's a place for instagram but i think they need to be purely used for for capturing 
quick ideas and then disposing of them. Let them go in your head and then let them go out of your head. I do like for clients to bring printouts of their Pinterest boards or their, you know, whatever images, magazine clippings. And, and I do spend time with clients looking at those and we'll, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. kind of entertain the thoughts and, and the visions and what they see. And then we quickly put those aside and we've seen them, we've given them their, their due diligence, and then we put them away. And then we focus on what can be filtered and extracted from that stack of images or that, that scrolling website of images. And then we focus on the task at hand, which is, which is so much more personal than just a, a stream, an endless constant feed of this is trendy. You should do this. You should buy this. You should paint this color. You should paint your brick. You should do, it doesn't matter. These are things that, are, that in five months or, or five weeks even could be completely out of style. I, I was thinking about styles and how true to the design style that maybe you've zeroed in on, you should stay. I mean, can you put like dental molding in a farmhouse or columns on a Tudor house or, you know, like, can you weave characteristics together or should you try to stay true to, to like an original? Yeah. I guess like, well, how wait, can you go off? Yeah. Course? If someone says I want a Georgian, like that's, that's the style I love looking traditional at a traditional elements yeah. or whatever. Do you, does that, is that a whole package already? Like if you pick a stylistic, that, I think like, that's a really, really tricky question. And the answer almost exclusively is no. You you cannot put dental molding in a farmhouse. But, uh, okay. uh, unless, <laughs> unless you can concoct and create a valid reason why historically that might have happened. Um, one okay. of my favorite things to do is to, I mean, you, you really have to know the rules of architecture. You have to know a wide variety of styles of architecture to design houses. You have to know to know a little bit about Georgian, a little bit about Tudor, a little bit about Victorian, a little bit about farmhouse. But then you have to know the history of those styles and when they came along and when Georgian started merging into federal and when federal mm. started merging into Greek revival. And, and that's when you can start blurring the lines. One of my favorite things about houses, um, especially old houses, is sometimes their, their incorrectness, their vulnerability, and their kind mm. of naivety, where maybe there was a builder in, in 1870 who saw some house that had a cool dental molding and he's like, you know what, we're building this house for so-and-so out in, in the woods. Let's try that. And so if, if you can go about it in a way that feels very innocent and, um, and, and intentional, I think it can work. It can work. <laughs> like I, your I, I grandmother? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When she exactly. says something inappropriate and you're like, well, you're cute and old. But like you're it's... really cute and sweet. So you can get that. away with it. <laughs> but, but but I think there's got to be there has to be at least a knowledge of what should be there. Mm-hmm. So you have to know the mm-hmm. rules in order to break the rules. Mm-hmm. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Yes. So you need an expert to help guide you like yourself. Otherwise, you're going to look really confused in the whole, and there's not going to be that thread mm-hmm. that, can, that can link everything together. And then you're dead in the water. Okay, mm-hmm. Taryn and Liz, y'all got to jump in because I feel like I'm hogging <sighs> Well, my question was kind of off of that same thing. So s- say you're again building, how do you how do you pick the moldings that stay true to the house? Is it, you know, do you work again work together? Like again, if I picked a tutor, do you do you know what my crown molding is? Sure. Or, sure. You do. You are, or is it, is it like narrowed down to like two or three different ones? If I say that kind of I mean, thing? There, there, there's, 
endless, endless amounts of, um, of, of millwork profiles and, mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, that, but, but there's languages within that broad spectrum mm-hmm. of millwork. You know, there's mm-hmm. a very Georgian language there. There's European things that tend to be a little less, you know, a little more sculptural, a little less colonial America. For instance. There's there's languages of millwork and languages of architecture that apply to almost every style. Now, there certainly are overlaps, mm-hmm. um, especially when you start thinking about revival styles, like early American revival styles, where it's not a it's not a pure Greek revival or not a pure Greek house, but it's a Greek yeah. revival. Okay, so explain what are revival styles, because I don't think everyone listening, you know, fully. What do you mean when you say revival styles? What are we reviving? All right. So so, so if you look back to true, let's say Georgian, for instance, Georgian architecture mm-hmm. in Georgian England, you know, back in the 1700s, the, you know, even even predating that, the pure Georgian houses that were in the era of King George, whatever, whatever Perfect. the history there is. Somewhere around the late 1800s, early 1900s, people in America specifically started reviving those styles. Same with Tudor, Tudor revival, mm-hmm. Tudor um, or, or you know Victorian revival. It's really that that 20s and 30s era of, of really, it's a golden era of American residential architecture, 20s, 30s, venturing into 40s, I think. But it's those styles that that are kind of interpretations of mm-hmm. the original. I think that's where you can get a little more flexible and a little more creative and a little little looser with your interpretations. And again, that mm-hmm. goes back to that notion of being a little more naive. Now, there's a place for incredibly academic new mm-hmm. Georgian architecture or new Tudor architecture, you know, where the Prince of Wales could come in and feel right at home. But there's also <laughs> a place for an American interpretation. And that's really what what we do, what my do. office does. Mm-hmm. It's more revivals and, and, and capturing the essence and the spirit of architecture that we love. Very, very, very few people are in the know enough or are quite honestly wealthy enough to be able to afford the, the true, proper mm-hmm. Georgian house with with true plaster and limestone and handmade brick and these sorts of things. But there there is a place for that. There's an academic realm mm-hmm. that, that is appropriate and, and respectable. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, creating houses that, that are more approachable and more in the realm of, of the typical American, although slightly affluent American, they're, they're, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's really where that revival style finds its place, I think. Those revival mm-hmm. styles, I should say. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if I'm building, a, if I'm referencing Greek revival in 2022, and in the, let's say, 20s or 30s, they were referencing... A previous, like, what does that make this like revival? Revival, like, what is the your like revival second generation or like you know, yeah, yeah squared? I don't know that revival ever really is. That's a really funny question. Ah. <laughs> revival, I mean, it's you're revive. You're still reviving. You're bringing it back, original, or you run the risk of ultimately watering it down so it's nothing. Like you, unless you keep reviving <laughs> original Greek things or original Georgian things, that's then true. Just, it just becomes this big gray blob of of everything. It's just miles with columns. Okay, right. is that just architecture from the nineties then? Like, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> exactly. It, when you said it's a house with a box with columns, it's it's probably really poorly scaled, poorly proportioned plastic columns. Those were stock columns that they got at Home Depot, right? <laughs> That's right. Okay, but 
kind of, you know, nodding back to like, okay, architecture from the 90s. Because there is there is like a part of that that was looking for a traditionalism and then it kind of got a little big box. And then, Mm -hmm. so say you live in a home from that era and you want to bring more of the flavor and flair of what you're creating and what are some things that you should be thinking about? Is it scale? Is it molding? Is it yeah? How do colors? you revive? How do you revive a nineteen nineties Greek revival? How do you do yeah. it? There you go. That's the question. <laughs> you have um, no one's ever asked you to do that. Of course they have. I was going to say <laughs> he's had to in his line of work. We typically seems- say we're not interested in that project, but yeah, people have asked. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, I mean, no one has said garbage. Your house is garbage. So, so I think the answer to your question was: is um, it, it all starts with proportion? It really does, and it's it, without fail. The right answer is almost always the simplest, the most plain. The trick to making a, an overdone, overwrought, you know, kind of boring, basic house feel right is just getting proportions of doorways right, of openings. Of, of moldings. And that doesn't mean giant, ornate, you know, multi-step cornices and crown moldings. A lot of times it just means being a simple, if you have a nine foot ceiling, there's a certain height of that, that your crown molding should be. There's a certain proportion that your baseboard should be. Getting those right, it immediately can can kind of snap that proportional feel, that that feel of walking into a space uh, into, into place. And, and like I said, so often less is more. And I feel like the 90s was just a, you know, a lot of builders just showing off. You know, it's a time of, of look at what I can do here. Look how many times the ceiling steps up in this crazy tray. And look at this, you know, I call it the, the, the realm of architectural gymnastics. And there's there's really not a historic precedent for architectural gymnastics. Unless you're looking at the Pantheon or the, you know, some cathedral in, in France. But there's not a place in American residential architecture. So is there like any kind of reference guide that people like say you you've got the house Liz is talking about and you want to give it a little more proportion, more style or whatever. Is there something you can reference like a book or anything that you recommend that will give people that language? Yes. There's a book uh, called get your house, right? And uh, (laughs) it is phenomenal. It's, it's phenomenal. Do you Um, write it? I have no relationship with the author. I get no kickbacks from saying this, Uh, but it's amazing. And it talks about all the little things that builders get wrong, that homeowners get wrong, scale, proportion, how to do a mantle, how to do a chimney, how to do a dormer, things that are always wrong. It, it has the most beautiful, concise drawings and notes on do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. We reference it all the time in our in our office just because <laughs> it's so quick and, and concise. Yeah. Now nobody's going to hire us because they know our trick. <laughs> You're out of business. I'm so sorry. Right, out of business. But, but it really is. It, it's one of those things that, that can just boil it down in, in the most beautiful way of, of what to do and what not to do. And, um, and again, like I said, it, it's, it's proof positive that simple is always the right answer. So we, you know, our, our theme is, is giving a new build charming character. And I was wondering if there are any sort of, um, you know, everyone's got a budget when they're building. What are the materials that one should prioritize when they're building and really get those materials right? And are, are there things that maybe you don't have to worry? I'm thinking like real wood floors or is it wood windows, cedar shingle, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, I think that with, with new construction, um, there's, there's a couple of things that really stand out in kind of separating the, the, the men from the boys and kind of the place you really should 
should focus on on throwing as much of your budget as possible. One of those is roofing. I think I think roofing really does kind of ele- can elevate or or oh, yeah. de elevate a, a house. You know, there's a big three of of slate, wood shakes, or or metal. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some degree, like like a beautiful old terracotta tile roof, that sort of thing. But those are the authentic roofing materials. And um, a house with the right roof can feel so much more grown up and so much more mature and elevated than than you know just a typical asphalt roof. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with an asphalt roof. I want to make make that clear. Uh, we do them. We use them. Um, and there's a there's a place for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know when it comes to roofing. You know, I, I tend to like the roofs that are, that are a little more honest. Some of these asphalt roofs that, that try so hard to look like slate or they have this high definition. They look like wood or they look like something else. Look like is, is really the downfall of, of houses, I think. If, if, you, if you can't do the slate or you don't have the budget for the slate, then don't do the slate. But do asphalt and let it be an asphalt roof. And that's completely fine. Other things, was I think, like hardwood floors or wood flooring. Good wood flooring makes a big difference. The way it feels under your foot, the way it sounds, the echo that's created by real wood versus alternate products. I think it's a really big deal. Hardware. I think you shouldn't underestimate the importance of a doorknob, the way it feels in your hand, the way it turns, the way it functions, the things that you actually engage with and touch every day. Um, Door hardware, window hardware, cabinet hardware. Those are the things that I think give a house a sense of authenticity and attention to detail. Everything else, um, you know, walls, yeah, in an ideal, in, in ideal world, all the walls are plaster and they're paneled and they're, but, but there's nothing wrong with a, with a drywall room. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with simple millwork as long as it's proportioned correctly. Um, and I would say the last of those things I think is really important. And it, it kind of creates that, that overlap that I think is so critical between architectural interiors and decorative interiors. And that's lighting. Spending the right amount of your budget on proper lighting is unbelievably critical. You, you can easily find, you know, it, relatively relatively easily find really good lights that, that just are simple and basic. And um, you don't have to spend a fortune, but you do have to pay attention to that detail, to those details. There is. People always ask me, is there a right light for my dining room and a wrong light for my dining room? The answer is yes. There absolutely is a wrong style light. So... Is that like cans or we talk like what is, I mean, obviously it depends on your situation, but are there things that you find work more often than not? Yeah, I think a lot of it is, is steering clear of giant, you know, four or five, six inch can lights, you know, fewer can lights. Speaking of 90s architecture, so when we discovered can lights, and it was like a bunch of crazy people running around throwing can lights at people and ceilings look like Swiss cheese. Not good. So, so fewer can lights, better, but fewer lights, I think is important. The right layers of light, sconces on the wall, art lights, library lights, that sort of thing. Just thinking really thoroughly about how to light a room. One of my favorite things is not have a ceiling light in a room at all and have the room be lit by lamplight. So thinking ahead of, the, ahead of time on where floor outlets should be to accommodate lamps beside sofas. And that's another hallmark of old houses. A lot of times you would see no ceiling lights in houses. They were, they were just lamps on switches, on wall mm-hmm. switches. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just giving it a, the time and the thought that, that it deserves to, to create, like I said, the right layers and the right effect within the house. To that note, this is kind of a switch, but on the same topic. When laying out your electrical, for instance, and putting these you know outlets where they're needed, how do you make adjustments for, like I know there's a set floor plan 
you've already thought that through. There's a layout. But what if down the road I want to move that sofa? Like, do or what if I want to use a different wall for the bed? Like, maybe I don't want it to stay always on this wall. And how do you plan for that? Because even when you put up sconces next to beds, they look fantastic. But then you're not going to move your bed, right? right. Is that what we assume? Or for you want to rewire, right? You just have to keep a little money in the bank for when you want to when you want to rewire. Um, okay. No, no, that's an honest answer. If that, if that's you know how we should think about it. I was just wondering how you kind of so many rooms evolve. I mean, in the last two years, I'm sure everyone has an example of a room they were using that they've changed completely. Sure. And I just want to think of how to make sure we're thinking through that as well. Well, so I would say you know we we when we design houses for clients, you know, we're working with them from beginning to end, and mm-hmm. we literally start out our process designing by hand and I, and I draw furniture in the rooms early on. Mm-hmm. So more often than not, we know from day one, which wall in the bedroom mm-hmm. is the bed wall. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's not another option. It is that wall. And it's right. always going to be that wall unless you want to cover a window or, have, you know, mm-hmm. so we think about things that early in advance. We know, okay. you know, if you're going to have a fireplace and a TV off to one side or God forbid a TV above, we know where the sofa is going to be and it pretty mm-hmm. much always has to be you could, you could turn it at a 90 degree angle or you could you could do certain things with it but that's where it's going to be dining rooms are the mm-hmm. same you know breakfast rooms thinking about those sorts of things early on in design mm-hmm. can head off a lot of issues like you're describing Perry, mm-hmm. when it comes to having to undo things down down the road um i mean think about places like uh biltmore mm-hmm. i mean the white house even to some degree graceland we'll throw that one out there it doesn't get moved. It was put there and that's where it was designed to go. It kind of seems like what you're saying is if you do it, you do it right the first time, you don't really have to redo it. You don't redo it. And then when you get the itch, like everybody does, myself included, to, to change things up, it's just colors. It's just get a new light. Paint paint the walls a different color. Um, mm-hmm. You know, redo your mantle, whatever it could be. Things like that are easier to change than, than mm-hmm. you know. It's kind of the thing we do in college when you're bored. You just got to like put your bed on a wall or you like move the TV. That Those are those are things that, you know, once you reach a certain house, you, you leave the furniture where it is and you change other things. Okay. I was totally thinking about that in my, my, kid, my childhood bedroom. Like I would get a wild hair and want to move everything around. And I wonder oh, if for that sure. was really just, I wonder if that was really just because maybe it never really worked the first time or something, you know, it's like. I, I did the I same know. thing all the time. My parents would get so upset. <laughs> yeah. It happens in our house like every four to six months. Yeah. There's got to be something about like child brain development that, that you know, you're, you're <laughs> uh-huh. seeking some mm-hmm. other thing Control. or maybe it's creative people or something like that. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But it's true. It is true, though. I feel like in my, as an adult, I don't really have the desire to rearrange. I do have the desire to change things, but it it's kind of like once I've landed on the floor plan, it kind of works or it doesn't. So That's right. to me, I'm not really itch- itching to change the floor plan up. I might just be wanting to like change the look or the style or the what have you, you know? Okay. I want to go back and talk about Graceland because you brought it up. <laughs> you mentioned Graceland. I saw your home in... Southern Home Magazine, and you have a few Elvis paintings around your house. So, I, I, um, how I'm influential is Graceland to you? More than you would 
think actually, and, and, and allow me to explain myself here. Graceland is a, um, it's a really unique house. There's not another place like it in the entire world. And, and the thing that, that I think is influential is the way that that house, I would argue maybe more than any on the planet, captures the personality of a person. That is not anybody else's house besides Elvis Presley. And I love that about it. Is it everybody's style? Absolutely not. Does everyone need a waterfall in their house and carpet on the ceiling? No, nobody can do that. But I think the fact that, that he went for it, he did what he loved and he felt comfortable there and, and it represented him, that says everything about what a house should do. I think you have to have the confidence to do things that you love and that you feel that you feel passionate about within your house, regardless of what, what the trends are. Like we said earlier, you know, there were people even in, in the 60s and 70s that would have thought Grayson was, you know, so garish and so far out there. But but um, and, and they weren't with the trends. They were Elvis. And that's OK. I think that's really important for people to remember that, um, yeah, design magazines are beautiful. You know, architecture books are beautiful. But people don't, we don't live in those houses. We live in our houses. And I think we have to, do people think I'm crazy for having a giant Elvis painting over my sofa? Probably so, but guess what? It's my house and it makes me happy. And it just so happens to be acceptable by my wife. So that helps. But I think that, um, I think that's really, when you said, is, is Graceland influential? I think that would be why it is. And it's, it is a beautiful old house. If you, if you boil it down and kind of, kind of, look at it just for what it is. There, there's some beautiful details in it. It's a remarkable house. And it ladies, is. if you if you need, I have a Viewmaster where we can go take a virtual tour. I mean, literally, you walk in the front door of that house and you feel like Elvis is going to walk down the stairs. It's, yeah. it's like it's just around the corner. It's crazy. Yeah, nothing's changed. Mm-mm. So outside of the uh, Elvis painting, is there anything else inspired by Elvis in your home? Or inspired by his home? Not specifically. My house was actually built in the exact same year that, that Grayson was built, which I think is kind of cool. But not not, not specifically. You know, I, I've got three young kids and a wife who's not an Elvis fanatic. So so we have to be a little bit considerate of, of those people. But, you know, my house is um, a little bit different than what, um, what a lot of my clients' houses are. You know, our, our house, because we have young kids who, who like art and drawing and, and color, we do have a lot of color in our house and we do, we're not afraid to be very personal with, with what we have in our house. I, I like to have things that, um, that our kids can touch high end and low end things. And, and we try to live in a house where nothing, no room in our house is off, off limits. Anybody, any kid, any visitor can sit or go and touch anything they want to. And so I think that's kind of, like I said, back to what, what makes us happy. It's very personal and that's where we feel comfortable and that's how, how we live. And I think anybody could apply that to their to their own space. It, it, it's it's surrounding yourself with yourself with um, with things uh, that that make you happy and make you feel comfortable and make you feel you know at the end of the day like you've arrived at a spot that that's yours. We've really gotten deep today, haven't we? I, mean, are, <laughs> I know I we have. I You'll like be over it. here thinking. I know. <laughs> well, no, you had me thinking just about again what. I think it's always important, like you said, like the end user, who you are, what's important to you. I think my biggest problem is just, again, not ruining traditional architecture with my point of view to your like, and that's where someone like you, an expert, 
knows how to do it so I don't botch it and make it. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> the nineties house of the future. You you kind of have to think about about this. I know this sounds kind of, you know, cliche or whatever, but but houses are gonna outlive us. Houses are going to be along around a long time after we're out there. And they're sort of, you know, what what of society builds is, is their contribution to the next generation. Mm-hmm. So getting it right is not, not just important for you and the way you live in your house, but it's important for, you know, what is going to become of that house? Is it a house that somebody one day is going to love or is it a house that somebody's going to say, oh, we need to get rid of this and start over? That's one of the reasons I love old houses so much is that they, they are for the most part, places that have been loved and cared for and and um, and taken care of. And in the same way, they've taken care of people. Love your house and it'll love you back. Right. I think that's that's a really important thing. And, and so many times new houses just aren't given the opportunity to have the longevity that that old houses had. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not that difficult. It's just about creating places that people feel right and, and feel comfortable in. Mm. Do you have any pet peeves in terms of new houses being built? Ooh, that's a good question. New house. And <laughs> well, it could be old too, I guess, but I wouldn't call it a pet peeve, but I but I have serious concern that steel windows are gonna be out in in way less time than anybody thinks. I don't think it's a pet peeve, but but I think they're incredibly overused and I feel like when they're used now, I feel like it's a little bit like somebody just felt like they had to use them. I think painted brick is the same thing. There's going to come a time where we where we kind of yearn for red brick again. Um, <laughs> what are we going to do? We painted it all. I know. I know. There's that. I, I think, luckily, I feel like we're kind of coming out of that realm. I think it's a little bit of that 90s, early 2000s world of 50 different gables, 50 different materials, a roof line that, that's crazy. I mean, those are incredible pet peeves. But I feel like people are, are sort of, you know, getting away from that to some degree. But mm. I think it boiled down, it, it's overcomplicating things. That's a pet peeve. You know, don't just make it simple. Keep it simple and and, mm-hmm. and don't don't do too much. Well, your your yeah. portfolio shows exactly that. I mean, you you have an element that speaks, but it doesn't yell. It doesn't overwhelm from your railings to your, I mean, you just have such beautiful, simple details that um, really make these homes sing. Um, so I hope everyone checks out your portfolio mm-hmm. online because it's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's a good lesson that sometimes like what you were saying, just a reminder that the, sometimes the simplest gestures are the best, you know, That's right. they, you, you don't have to get everything too complicated. That's right. What's well, like the equivalent of, you know, for, for a lady, just a, a simple black dress or a tuxedo mm. or a man. You know, it's those are the, the pinnacles of, of dressiness, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. And, but but it's, it's not fussy. Yeah. Right. I wanted to talk about your house plans because, and, you know, well, okay. Let's just start at the beginning. What sort of led you to design them? And let's start there. What what led you to design your house plans? Well, so that, that's a good question. So, so my firm is really at its core ninety five percent, ninety nine percent of our work is custom for individual clients. Um, 
And so we, we meet a client and we sit with them and we design specifically for them. Everything from places for their grandmother's cast iron skillet to their grandfather's grandfather clock. You know, thinking of every little detail, every every shoe that they own, every um, car that they drive. And it, it's full service when it comes to that. But, I, but I've always had a passion. And maybe it's because I grew up in a small South Georgia town. But, but, but of, of creating things that, that can reach kind of reach down and, and apply to a broader perspective. We're, we're fortunate to work with, with um, you know, typically affluent wealthy people who have excellent taste and can do things that, um, you know, your typical person, even your typical person in my hometown could never do. And so I think that, that the notion of having, and, and we, we have a very small collection of, of little houses or not little, but houses that are available. And I love that we're able to apply the, the lessons of the big fancy multi-million dollar houses something that really can be used and enjoyed by normal people and i I think that um it's unfortunate that so many times good architecture fine houses are reserved for the wealthy and 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 i love you know in a small way being able to take things that that are that are um more palatable and, and more consumable by a wider range of people um, because I think design truly, and, and I mean this, uh, I feel this in my heart, but I think design can be life-changing. Good design can change the way that you live. I think, I mean, a, a well-designed yeah. car, a well-designed garden, a well-designed house, anything. Design applies to, to all aspects of our lives. And I don't think it, I don't think good design should be reserved for a certain uh, segment of the population. Now, yeah. do I enjoy designing, you know, multi-million dollar houses? Absolutely. It's so much fun. It's great. And we, and we love doing it, but but I I do like like I said taking those lessons, taking those those that that knowledge set that, that myself and my team have, and, and sort of giving that back. Mm-hmm. So practically speaking, what is the advantage of a house plan versus just working, say, with a builder or something? You know, like what 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 would that do for your budget? Do you mean like working with an architect or designer versus just kind of buying a, a plan from online? Yeah, or not using a plan at all and just kind of. Yeah, some people, yeah, just work with a builder. They're just like, I'm going to build a house. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's incredibly risky. Um, no offense to builders, but, but um, you know, I, I, I think that the skill set that a builder has is typically not appropriate for the skill set that somebody who designs a house would have. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so you start thinking about builders designing purely for practicality. Whereas I think people like myself who design houses for a living are designing from, from a lot of different perspectives, Mm -hmm. you know, precedent, you know, budget of course is important than every house we design, but, but, but somebody that that can take all those things, um, historical accuracy, appropriateness, budget, practicality, and apply them to a house. It, it's it's something that, that very few builders, and there there are certainly some out there that are they're incredibly good at, at design. But I think it's 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 a very risky thing to, to go at something with no plan and for somebody just to just sketch something on a piece of note paper, notebook paper, and hope it turns out. Now, do you have to go full service with with a with a architecture firm? I, I don't think so, but but I think you need uh, you do need. <laughs> a plan of some sort. Otherwise you're just at the mercy of, of, you know, what, what happens before you. Yeah. <laughs> so you hire an architect though or a designer? Yes, I can't so. imagine. Yeah. No, that's, uh, 
Well, it seems like the it would be like, oh, well, this is the molding that's available versus this is the molding that's scaled to your room. You know, like that's exactly. <laughs> well, and, and you know, I, I think that there are some really wonderful design build firms, but I think that's a kind of a tricky situation where you know, I was like told to do one thing and do it well, and and don't try to wear too many hats. You know, the, the fortunate thing about people that just design houses, for instance, for a living, is that it's pure design, and we have to be aware of budget. But I, but the things I design are not always purely driven by budget. I'm going to select millwork. And, and flooring based on appropriateness first, not budget. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, all right, this is what we want. And then if we have to look at budget alternates or options, then we will. But I don't start with budget as our driving directive. Um, whereas I think if you start mixing the builder and the designer and, and into one umbrella, then you, you kind of could question some of the decisions that are being made. Are they are they aesthetically correct or are they just budget driven? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's, yeah, that's, that's something a I wouldn't have I it's it's a very tricky yeah. thing. And, and so, like I said, it, it, we have to, uh, you know, when we're designing houses, we certainly have to know budgets. It's one of the first conversations we have with clients. Um, but we use those budget numbers as ways to, to work under an umbrella of appropriateness. Yeah. I mean, it's the same way you don't want me doing branding on top of, like, and marketing as well as designing the furniture. <laughs> yeah. Exactly I mean, right. maybe you do, but I would not be so good at what <laughs> you guys do for a living. That's for sure. <laughs> but to Brandon's point, like I, I know what we can and can't afford when we're designing. So it makes sense. Like I know when I'm putting in too much, I'm like, Oh, this thing's going to price out. You know what I mean? Like we're sure. not, yeah, mm -hmm. and you and I'm sure. But Brandon you don't knows. sacrifice the quality of what you're doing. No, you you have to figure out what's important. Yeah, you're like, okay, so what here is important because this look yeah. is needed. Like it needs to look like this, or it's not going to sell anyway. So then, like, where That's are right. we going? Yeah. Well, to be clear, it, it's a whole lot. Uh, having a, a a budget makes our jobs easier. Mm -hmm. Having mm -hmm. a having some sort of limit. To be honest. Uh, a big house is a whole lot easier to design, or sorry, a lot easier to design than a small house, but but you have to be given those mm -hmm. directions. You have to be given a place to stop. Otherwise, you can just keep drawing and drawing and making and making, and and it, and it loses you know its soul. Mm -hmm. I think budget, square footage, lot size, those sort of things, any kind of, of you know programming limit is going to lead you into directions creatively. Creatively, creatively mm -hmm. whatever that word, creatively that you might not have come to had you just had the opportunity to just go. You mm -hmm. have, you know, ten million dollars go design a piece of furniture. It's going to look like a train wreck. But you have a hundred thousand or fifty thousand dollars, whatever mm -hmm. it could be. Giving yourselves those, giving yourselves that um, that sense of of reining in, I think, brings out the most creative solutions. Yeah, I think I'm going to be taking the uh, the phrase, is this under the umbrella of appropriateness? Yeah. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> I liked that a lot. That's going to be the title of my book. <laughs> so what is your favorite style? Traditional architectural style. What is your the one that like is your easy go-to? Um, typically, it's it's the one I'm working on at the time. <laughs> I mean, it's the one that's on my drawing board right now. That's my favorite. That's awesome. Um, but, but personally, I really love um, 
I love Georgian. I love kind of colonial. I, I, I think there's some like New England, Georgian, colonial, white, a white siding house. It's really my favorite style. The ones that just feel timeless and like they've been around forever. That, that's really my favorite. Style. I, I, I do have a penchant for things that are a little more formal, I think. That's why I love a, I love a good Georgian house, the symmetry. Um, I'm almost, uh, uh, you know, symmetrical to the point that it's crippling in, in my, in my <laughs> mind. Um, so, so I, I, I like, I like the symmetry and the balance and, the you know, beautifully detailed, beautifully proportioned historic Georgian house can just, you know, it, it gets me every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I understand why. They're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. Taryn, you had a lot of questions on here we haven't gotten to. Well, they were all detailed ones, but I think, I mean, you know, like, how, 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 do you, how are you doing kitchens these days? Like, what are you putting in there, um, especially speaking to traditional? Because traditionally, the kitchen wasn't in said house. So yeah. how do you speak to that? Um, sure. I mean, kitchens are um, kitchens are, are always really the place where most people start when they're designing a house. When you when you ask somebody how do you envision your your house it starts at the kitchen and specifically a lot of times it starts at the kitchen sink you know the sink needs to have a view or I, when i'm standing there washing dishes i'd love to look at you know the outside i'd love to look at the living room and the kids play one of the things that, that i really you know you mentioned pet peeves earlier liz i think the the open concept floor plan is, is a huge pet peeve of mine those big you know when the floor plan is just like a big oil slick and it just keeps rolling <laughs> It's it's just kind of a it, it there's there's no place you know historically or you know precedent speaking that, that you would find out you know we mm-hmm. not not to say that the kitchen needs to be tucked in in the back corner of the house like it would have been back in the you know a long long time ago but I do like for for kitchens to to be to take their place as the important spaces in a house that they are I mean they're mm-hmm. very important for playing out. Um, but to still feel like a room, I think that's incredibly important to be able to say, I'm in the kitchen and now I can turn the light out and walk out and I'm no longer in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You might still see the kitchen. You might be still connected to the kitchen, just the room next door. Um, mm-hmm. But, but I, I still like in, in every house we design for, for rooms to feel like rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and kitchens, I think, are, are a major part of that that thought process. Um, but But I do like for them to feel connected in other ways through openings, through, through windows, through, um, you know, you know, another interesting thing is, is the function that people are starting to put back into their kitchens. Now, you know, kitchens are getting more, there's a couple of different things happening. They're getting prettier, but they're also getting separated a little bit, the working kitchens and sculleries and mm-hmm. pantry, all these sorts of accessory spaces that are surrounding kitchens are, are really starting to take hold. And, and I like to take that as an opportunity to really think back. You know, we, we don't design kitchens like like the ones in 1920. But if we think of a space like a butler's pantry or a scullery, we actually can. You can start thinking of those as old, you know, where the china would have been stored and where the, mm-hmm. you know, the serving pieces and where, where those sorts of things would have happened. And it allows you, you know, again, those are rooms a lot of times with the most soul in the whole house. It's those things. You can still have the pretty kitchen where, you know, you entertain and your guests are sitting around the island. But having that messy kitchen, you know, places where people can, people put up jelly and fruit and that kind of thing. It, 
in, in a proper working kitchen, I think it's so cool. Yeah, it is interesting because I feel like we've been hearing from designers and architects more and more about sort of the the open floor plan and, you know, maybe that it's not all it's cracked up to be. Um, yeah. Especially maybe in this last two years where. Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say. I, I think that, um, you know, before COVID, you know, you, you come home from work and you haven't seen your kids all day and you want them right beside you. But my gosh, during COVID, you're like please get out of my kitchen. Like, give me my space. Like everybody got to go to your own, own realm. And uh, I think there's a happy medium there. I don't think it needs to be that extreme, but I, I, I do think the notion of, of, of houses that have places that can be places, places you mm-hmm. can kind of retreat to, or you can open up into, I think that's really changed the dynamic of how houses are designed. Mm-hmm. What is secondary? You said that you had mentioned that people say kitchens first, what's secondary? per se like um, what is the second room people always go to or like discuss it's, it's becoming outdoor living spaces there's oh. so much of that um porches and and patios and pools and and you know outdoor living rooms and that sort of thing um which personally a lot of times i like to take those you know the, the thought of an outdoor living room a space with a fireplace and a you know dining table and, and i like to extract those from a house and actually put them in the landscape like as a destination there's something about a house that just keeps tripping over itself and you're just putting too many rooms too many rooms but to get some rooms where we can and take them away from the house walk you know walk 20 yards to get to it that's okay um mm-hmm. because sh- show me a house built before 1940 that had an outdoor fireplace mm-hmm. they, they just weren't there um not yeah. that we can't still do it and we can still do it beautifully i, I don't mean that in, in the least but it, it can still be done but i think that um it's one of those things you have to be careful not to just overdo because you see so many yeah. pictures, pictures of, of that. Right. Well, that, that goes back to, again, how do you live? Like, That's right. Yeah, like having the discussion myself while building was, you know, very much the, yeah. At, at first I was like, oh, we want a hot tub. And then someone was like, but are you actually a hot tub people? And I was like, absolutely not. Would not. <laughs> I would. We are not. We. If you were like, do you want to sit on the sofa and watch TV, or do you want to like put on a bathing suit and go out to your hot tub? I'd be like, I'm gonna sit. I'm just. That's yeah. that's naturally yeah. who I am. And some people are, are the opposite to your point. And some people are outdoor fire people. And you know, you would go out there and sit by it. But I am not gonna go sit by an outdoor fireplace. So. Well, I think it kind of goes back to our earlier conversation about being true to who you are mm-hmm. like you i think one of the one of the worst things about instagram there's a lot of great things about instagram mm-hmm. but is is that it, it puts every possibility in front of you and you're like wow i want a little bit of that i like that i like that i'd like to do that i want to go there and, and and it kind of forces you to start thinking of yourself differently than what you really are mm-hmm. and i think when you're doing something as personal as designing a house you you really have to get introspective you know, we're designing yeah. things. Not only are we talking about, you know, the special occasions. What do you do on Thanksgiving? Where do you watch the Super Bowl? Where the, do Easter egg hunts happen? You know, we're talking about mm-hmm. those kind of things. But really more important than that is it's been a long day. You just put the kids to bed. What are you and your husband, are you and your wife going like, to do? Going to the hot tub. <laughs> <Go> to the <laughs> hot tub. <laughs> but, yeah. but I think it, yeah. it, it, there, there's, there's a combination of, of, of and, and there's a happy medium and there's, there's a, there's a a right note that you can hit that 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 can make a house respond to every different aspect of your life 
you know, I think that um, speaking of special occasions, I'm really sad to see that that so many people are are turning away from the formal dining room. Oh, me I, it's, too. It's always been one of my favorite, if not my very favorite, space in a house. Why, why like is it your favorite? Family yeah. of it, and the mm-hmm. the fact that it it is that we tiptoe around and then we move through it, but it, but it's that one space that it's that, your church clothes. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's, if you if you're gonna have a butler's pantry, you better have a dining room to put the fancy stuff. That's out. true. Mm-hmm. That's really true. <laughs> you look at the dining room, no butler's pantry, or well, a butler's pantry a dining room. Mm-hmm. I don't know about um, y'all, but I feel like when I think about like, you know, you're talking about like sentimental rooms and homes. When I think about like my mm-hmm. grandparents' house, I think about the dining room because exactly. that's where we ate Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter. And that's where, or actually I also think about the breakfast room because I used to have breakfast with my grandfather every Saturday. So, yeah. you know, it's like those, sometimes it is those ceremonial rooms that you only use once a year. Sure. So it may seem like a waste, but on the other hand, like that's where your big family memories are going to be happening. So, yeah. you know, maybe find a way to use them the other times of the year, but don't just yeah. throw out the dining room because you you don't use it every single day. Exactly right. I mean, the, the the value of that space in terms of sentimental, you know, and, and memories is way is it's, it's it's very valuable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. I have another room. I'm wondering if you're doing this anymore. Uh, and are people still doing the? their bedroom, their big bedroom, where there's a sitting area as well? Or have you found that people are kind of moved back away from that as well recently? I feel like as a rule, it seems to me that bedroom, master bedrooms or primary bedrooms are definitely getting a little smaller. I think that people are, are, are back to the notion that this is a place to sleep. And if I want to go hang out, I'm going to do it on the sofa in the living room or outside on the porch or, or that kind of thing. Um, or the hot tub or the hot tub that's right a lot of times we'll make rooms just big enough so there there might not be a proper sitting room but just big enough that you could have just a comfortable pair of chairs you know in front of a window that sort of thing but um yeah we're we're kind of seeing a shift away from just enormous bedrooms and and master bathrooms my gosh back to the 90s remember when there'd be bathrooms big enough insane (laughs) And tubs that look like shrines, and um, it's just just crazy <laughs> for the but hot tub kind of people. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Maybe that's where your hot tub is. Um, but I think you know we, you hear a lot now the, the the notion of rooms that feel like jewel boxes, um, and, and I love that. I love that phrase and that analogy. You, you think about it a lot of times with butler's pantries and powder rooms, but I think master bathrooms are a perfect opportunity to create a jewel box room where every little detail counts. The faucet the sink, the tub, the lighting, the tile, you know, the details on, on all those things in, in spaces that are that concentrated, again, like butler's pantries and powder rooms, all those details matter so much. And, um, and they really can, it's like, a, like an oversaturation, an oversimulation of just beautiful things in, in a concentrated uh, moment. And I love that. I, I like the sense of when, when you, when you walk through a house, the scale change, this, you know, differences in, in high, low, intimate, expansive. And that's what I think when you, when you think about a jewel box space, you know, mix them with, with, with non-jewel box spaces, it can be very powerful. I, I like, I like that idea of sort of like it, I guess it kind of creates like a flow. Sure. You know, it, 
helps you meander from room to room and and each room then becomes a destination because they each have their own unique little yeah. kind of vibe. Well, I think if, if the process is signed smartly, it can almost intuitively tell you where it wants you to go. Like it, it can guide you. You know, the, the mm-hmm. way you can properly set up little vistas and little peaks of, of rooms as, as you come in the front door, it, it can literally subconsciously lead you in, in a circulation pattern that, that we can coordinate mm-hmm. and we can, we can plan, um, which makes yeah. a really... Really, and it makes a house something that you want to explore. Uh, big houses and little houses it doesn't have to be some giant mansion, but but a house that has secrets. That's the thing that that a, that, that an open concept or oil slick house doesn't allow. <laughs> it doesn't allow exploration. You know, you walk in. Who wants to walk in the front door and see the dirty dishes from last night on the kitchen counter? Mm-hmm. A house or, or a good house would allow you to to meander and to search and to and to then discover. find the dishes. Last. And then you find the dishes with the spaghetti sauce stuck to the plates. And so it's fine. I will say that is, I think, the advantage of a formal dining room because it drives me nuts when I like in our old house, our dining room and kitchen were connected, and I used to hate, you know, when we we're entertaining and you just look like right behind my chair and there's like all the pots and pans. And so uh, if you've got a dining room, you can kind of hide some of that. Shut the bit. door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You mentioned rooms that are or dining rooms that, that could maybe be used as something else throughout the, throughout the year that we're doing a, a great house now for some, some wonderful clients who um, they, they wanted the dining room, maybe because I talked them into it, but they, <laughs> What we're hearing is we, we actually have the dining room right in the middle of the house. So you come in the front door and it's on access with the front door, but it has bookcases completely around it. Ugh. So it's really alive. Every day they can sit, they can read, they can, they can, you know, I love you know that. it's connected to the kitchen. It's connected to the living room, but it's right in the middle of the house. When they want to have dinner parties, they literally just put, have dinner right there in the library. I mean, how cool is that? That's yeah. so um, cool. We start thinking about like la- overlapping functions, overlapping mm-hmm. functions. Um, that's when you can you can kind of cling to those old rooms. That's what can give them longevity. Mm-hmm. That's so cool, especially if they have good books. My that's right. Right. <laughs> no paperbacks, <Yeah>. please. <laughs> <laughs> this was we really went deep today. I liked it. It was fun. Brandon, thank you so much for listening yeah, to thank us. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. And guiding us. Thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and yes. Like and, yeah. Put on a smoking jacket and have a cigar or a glass of brandy or something after. after <laughs> <this>. <laughs> you can't overestimate the the importance of 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 houses. You know, just as a as a building type, but but as places that we home. call home. Yeah, I mean, it's so and and every inch of it is 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 worthy of of giving the attention and the care that it that it needs. Yeah. Love it. Mm. Am I a better place to really like invest your, your time and attention because it's where you're going to be every day. So that's, that, exactly that's right. part of our philosophy here at Ballard too. Like that's make exactly it, a, right. make it a space you love. Yeah, exactly. You only live once. Love where you right. live. Well, Brandon, can you tell everyone where they can find you, follow you and see your work? Yeah. So our, our website is uh, cbrandoningram.com. And uh, Instagram is C Brandon Ingram. Um, and I think that's 
where we are. I think that's a limit. I imagine they can find the house plans at Southern Living through your website. Southern Living does have, um, Southern Living's got an amazing team of people that, that um, kind of run that, that house plans arm of their business. The whole team there is just fantastic and super helpful when it comes to, to questions about those sorts of things. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you can certainly find us there too. Which is awesome. Thank you so much. And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time. Happy Happy decorating. decorating.